0: Good morning, church. He is risen. Yes, indeed. He is alive. Are you alive today? That's part of the question. My name is Dirk. I'm on staff here at Redeemer. One of the pastors. It's my joy to preach my first Easter sermon. And there's a lot of people have uh, pastors kind of have some stress with it because there's so much momentum riding on it, like. But for me, I'm like, it's a shorter sermon, like, and we just get to ride high the whole time. So, right, so we can be lively and joyful, because if you were here on Friday, we we have this weekend that's really special, where we go really deep and really dark on Good Friday. Good Friday is just a funeral. We walk out in silence. His body is in the tomb. And then when we come in here this morning... It's completely different because there was something that happened on this morning 2,000 years ago that has shaped history and the course of human history and salvation forever. That's why we're here today. And I have the honor of of getting into the Word with you today. And so as Jason read through 1 Corinthians, you can have that open in your Bible, on your phone, wherever. Um, But what we see here... This is kind of a little bit of background. We have the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church in the city of Corinth in ancient Greece. Now if you're familiar with this letter he's writing to them, there's a slew of issues that he is addressing with them. Some very egregious things that are happening within the body. And he's bringing correction, he's showing them this is actually how you function as a believer, don't forget and what we get to at the beginning of 15 that Jason didn't read, but I'm going to go through it here, is the first couple of verses. He says this Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What you received at one point in time, in which you currently stand, in which you are being saved, it's past, present, and future. The gospel applies to all three, and it shows that God is always active, He's always present in your life and what you're doing, and where He's moving you, and all of us into a greater glory and joy than we could ever imagine. It's what Jesus provides for us. And He's saying, hold fast. Hold fast. He continues in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He says many things in this letter. Very wise, God-breathed things in this letter, but this is the center of it all. Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised. This had been prophesied for centuries before. That there would be a Messiah, a Savior, who would come and save God's people. Not because of anything that they did, but because of who he is in his love and mercy and grace and kindness and compassion and justice. It had been foretold for centuries. But he's saying... If we lose focus of this, Church of Corinth, if you lose focus of this, essentially everything I've taught you or I've told you in this letter is going to do you no good. Because this is the center. If you abandon the center, if you abandon the core gospel, you're just getting morality. You're just getting a different lifestyle among a world of pagans, among a world of brokenness. It's no different. If you lose the gospel, if you lose Jesus... And the resurrection, it's essential. And so, Paul is saying this to Corinth, but he's saying it to the church as a whole for all time. It's essential. What Jason read was he's getting into this this issue of doubt that the church in Corinth is having in regards to the resurrection. Now, it's not about whether Jesus actually resurrected. It is concerning more with themselves being resurrected at a future time. Meaning this, this, this idea of resurrection isn't just being born again and we walk around as Christians today. It's this future end of days, the last day when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. The dead, those who died who were in Christ will be literally physically raised with new bodies to be able to handle the glory of seeing Jesus face to face for all of eternity. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, he's really addressing that concern or that doubt that they're having, whether, I don't know if that's going to happen for us. There's a lot of ways that they can really experience that, that would lead to their doubt. I want to really focus on why we could have that same issue, why we could have that same doubt. You know, it's easy to look back over the last year and say, man, just how life is bleak. You can pull out the examples of why life is just not going the way you want it and is far from the ideal. The amount of stress that you have, the sickness that is in your family or within yourself, the lack of joy that you have, the lack of peace that you have, the finances are tight, you're questioning whether you're going to pay the next bill, the lack of your relationship with God. You're asking yourself, will God resurrect this? Because if this is the issues that we have now, how can I expect a future resurrection where this will no longer be an issue? It's hard to see that when you're in the middle of it, when you're in the thick of it. We can doubt our own resurrection, but then from that we can also doubt not just that, but the reality and power of Christ's resurrection. If we doubt about it for ourselves, what does that mean about Christ? So if you look about your own life does your life reflect the resurrection of Jesus or does it reflect more of your past life of who you once were does it reflect more about the lives that the lies that you're currently believing about yourself about this church about the world do you still live a life that is just filled in dwelling in shame dwelling in reflecting a life of anger of lust, of guilt, of apathy, of addiction? Do we settle for a dysfunctional faith? Meaning this, that we say, yes, Jesus resurrected, he's going to resurrect me, but I have no hope. I have no hope in this life. I do not have a real, literal, tangible hope that I have ahead of me. And Paul gets to some really harsh, logical conclusions here. If there's no power in the resurrection... We're just wasting our time doing this. Why keep doing something that actually lacks hope and power to change? Why would we do that? It makes no sense. And then take it a step further. If there's no resurrection, we're doing ministry in vain. If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised. That's the logical uh, flow that has from that, that that the resurrection of ourselves in the future and the resurrection of Christ are connected. If we're not resurrected, that means Christ did not have enough power to raise us. And then it brings into question everything that we do within our ministry today. If that's not the case, if if we're not going to get resurrected, if Christ isn't resurrected, our preaching is in vain, me doing this is in vain, Our faith is in vain. Our ministry, our giving, our love, our serving, our community, all of it's in vain. It hinges on the resurrection. And then alongside that, we're still in our sins if the resurrection didn't happen. Because Paul says in Romans 4 that because in his resurrection we are justified. And then Paul says in verse 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If it hasn't happened, let's just indulge in the world. Let's just indulge in everything that's offered to us. Why not? If Jesus isn't the Messiah, if he's still in the ground, then let's just give up and give in to the world. There's no need any longer to put up an act. But is that the case? Paul gives a resounding no. He says no. He's arguing for the resurrection because he literally saw Jesus. He literally saw the risen Christ in the depth of his sin, in persecuting the church. And Jesus appears before him on the road to Damascus. And it completely changes his life forever. That's the God he serves. When he's writing these letters, when he's raising up disciples and elders and leading churches, he's saying, this is my life. It is founded upon the risen Christ because I've seen him, I've spoken to him, he leads me, he speaks to me still today. And that's the message he's giving for us today, church. So it's God is saying for us today that Jesus is alive. He's alive. It's the moment of glory in history. The moment. And you know that we hunger for it. We hunger for the moments of glory. Right? Like if you, you think about the buzzer beater last night with Gonzaga, like insane. It changes the course of history. We think of the Hail Mary passes in football. We think about the underdog stories, like we love those stories. My gosh, and if you think, if you're really loving Marvel, like if you think about uh, Avengers Endgame and when it came out, like, man, over 20 movies, so many hours, story building, plot. It's culminating into this final half hour, 45 minutes. In between the antagonist of Thanos, who's literally killed half of the universe, and you have the remaining Avengers. And there's this point where man, they're just really getting beat up. Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, and Iron Man and Thor are taken out, and you have beat up Iron Man, and he comes, and he picks up Thor's hammer. And some of you who don't know anything about this, man, it sucks to be you. But the whole thing about it was, only someone who was worthy could pick up the hammer. Only someone who was worthy could pick it up. And the captain picks it up, and he goes to town. And the battle continues, continues, and eventually all of the dead heroes who died are resurrected. They join the fight, and there's victory. We love those moments. But it all falls short. All of those stories, those sports examples, all that it falls short because... They do not have the power to give you life. I'll give you goosebumps in the moment, but it does not give you life. It pales in comparison. But it still, it still points to Jesus' resurrection. And what we see in the resurrection is infinitely greater power and hope. Infinitely greater. Jesus displays this glory for us. If we start from the beginning of Scripture, We see how patient God is with us. Oh, how patient he is. Oh, how loving he is and how faithful he is. And then we see Jesus entering creation, entering the world in which he created. And one of the songs we sung on Good Friday, that this this scene of Jesus as a baby being born, this sweet little baby, And they have no idea that he is still holding together the entire universe. This little boy, this glory, and he grows, and he lives among us, and he loves, and he serves. And we see it culminating in his death and resurrection. In verse 21 and 22, for as by a man, Adam, came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All who would call upon his name, all who would believe in his name, they would be made alive. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. What you see in Adam's error at the beginning of Genesis in, in sinning and giving into temptation, Jesus is the future fulfillment. He is the perfect second Adam, making many righteous, and bringing us into that, only Jesus has that kind of power, like get this guy's, and we can keep hammering this home. You go around the world, you could see tomb after tomb of religious leaders of dictators and politicians and famous celebrities and all that, and those tombs are occupied. People come to mourn and lay flowers and letters and, and things like that, but Jesus' tomb is empty. There is no mourning. He is alive. His tomb is empty because he has actually conquered death. Church, he is alive. He alone has conquered our sin. He alone has conquered Satan and evil for all time. He alone can heal and serve you. He alone can save and redeem you. He alone can raise you to newness of life and keep you there. He alone can deliver you from addictions. He alone is your and the source of joy, of life, the source of peace, the source of mercy, the source of compassion, all of it. He is the fountain that never runs dry. He is the living water. He alone is worthy and holy. He alone is making all things new. The parting words he has with us at the end of Revelation, behold, and make all things new. This is the good news for you today, church. All of you who are here, whether you believe or not, this is the best news you could ever have. Do not forget it. Hold fast. Paul has his own evidence, too. He says this in verse 5. He said that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. They physically saw him. He spoke to them. They touched him. Even if you look throughout church history, the power of the resurrection... And how the church, time after time, has gone through so much persecution. Not like what we're familiar with, but entire amounts of persecution of of Christians being killed for the faith, being assaulted, having things taken away from them because of their love for Jesus. And it makes you think, why would someone suffer for a dead man? Why would we die for a dead man? It's Because he's alive. He's alive. I want to share with you a couple stories that um, I've gathered from a resource that is uh, really talking about how uh, Jesus, in some of these other stories I'm not going to share, how Jesus is appearing to people in Muslim countries in dreams, sharing scripture that they otherwise would not have known, um, and other really miraculous ways here. There was an elderly Afghan woman that ended up in Athens alone, Her children were still in her home country. Each week, she would walk into a ministry center, clearly overwhelmed with the troubles in her world. One Persian pastor had prayed with her many times and explained that the answer to all of her troubles was King Jesus. Like many Afghans, she was not interested in the gospel. One day, the Persian pastor asked, If God reveals himself to you and shows you the truth, will you follow him? She just laughed. A few weeks later, she met Jesus. During the day, she walked by the ministry, but no one was there, so she sat down to rest just outside of the door. Suddenly, she saw a bright light coming from behind her, so bright that she covered her eyes. The light was shining brighter than the sun. In front of her, she saw a big shadow, then she heard a voice speaking in her language, "'My daughter, my daughter, the door is open for you, come.' She replied, the door is closed. And again, the voice called to her, I am the Son of God, Jesus. The door is open for you, my daughter. I am the door. As she told the story, she began trembling, and her heart was pounding as she proclaimed the peace and joy that she experienced since hearing Jesus speak to her. She said, many times, Pastor, you have encouraged me to pray that God would speak to me. I thought it was blasphemy, but now I know Jesus is alive. After talking to the pastor, she took some Bibles and began giving them to other people, insisting they must read the book. This next one's a doozy. <laughs> There was a family on a boat with other migrants traveling from Turkey to Athens. On the way, they lost their seven-year-old daughter into the water. Everyone in the crowded boat was looking for her but couldn't find her. Suddenly, she appeared on the other side of the boat, saying over and over, a man who walked on the water took me and brought me to the other side of the boat. The parents dismissed her words as silly. Upon arriving on the island of Lesbos, they met, a Christian, they met a Christian who made a fine, a fire and offered to talk to them. That day, without knowing what happened, he asked if they would like to know about a God who walked on water. They started crying. The man had never used that illustration in evangelism, but that morning he felt like he had to. They asked him, who are you? To which he replied, I am a Christian. They said, what do you mean walk on water? He opened the Bible and read the story of Jesus walking on the water. They continued crying. Our daughter fell off the boat, they explained. We thought she was crazy because she was dry on the other side. We didn't understand, but she kept saying, it was a man who walked on the water that took me to the other side. Jesus is still alive. He's still alive, man. And, man, those stories, I can send you all of them, those stories are great, but what I want to encourage you with today is to remember your story. Remember who you once were. Remember the place that you used to be. The things that you were soaked into. The things that you gave yourself over to. How you were broken. How you were ashamed. How you were addicted. And to remember that moment when Jesus came in. Remember when it all changed, that's resurrection power. That's resurrection life. To remember his undying love for you, to yank you out of that, to embrace you as his own, to bring you into the family of God, to where you would now be a son and daughter of the most high, never cast aside And for us to to linger in that is to fully acknowledge and grow in being a son and daughter of God. Because the thing is, there's a difference. There's a difference between just believing biblical truths. Like I could read this front to back and you could say, yeah, I believe it. There's a difference between doing that and understanding and living out your life as a son or a daughter. There's a big difference the resurrection will always remind us of this reality and the way to live it out. So if you figure out, man, am I living that out? Am I not? Where would you put yourself? Where would you put yourself this morning? Is it rooted in the resurrection? Is it really struggling right now? But let's be encouraged in this. To be a son and daughter of God, what does that life look like? It looks like a resurrection home. It doesn't mean it's all perfect. It doesn't mean everything's going well. It didn't go well for Jesus all the time. If you are here a good Friday. That life applies to our struggles. It doesn't mean they go away. It means that it is present and active and working in our struggles. When we raise children who walk away from the faith, I have little kids, and I dread that to ever happen. I can't prevent it, but I know my hope is not in my words. It is not in Emily and I's love for them. It is in his life and his love for them. It applies to that, it applies to depression. It applies to when the dark cloud is over our head and we can't see the light. It applies to our fears. It applies to our sicknesses. It applies to our sin struggles. and It applies to death, physical death in our body. When someone is no longer among us, the resurrection life applies. Our hope is in the resurrection, Always. And that gives us hope to sustain us because it's in his hands because he's shown us so much grace. And he's going to continue to supply it because he is always faithful to you. Always. We live in Freedom Church. And secondly, sons and daughters not just live in resurrection home, but we live in resurrection power. It's not just in words, but it is in power. Power. And how we see the kingdom of God expanding in the nations. It is covering the globe today. If you want to take, man, your ancestry.com, man, I don't think it goes really past the 1500s, but even before that, we all had lineage at one certain point in time. Many of us, different warring tribes, barbarians, pagans, that changed. The gospel came to the nations, and it's still going out to the nations today, to the millions and millions of people who still never heard or even have access today. The kingdom will progress because of resurrection power. What our God gives is infinitely bigger and eternal, more eternal than anything else any other so-called God gives, material or intangible. We live in the resurrection power, not just by seeing the gospel going out in the nations and making disciples, but it's also in people being delivered from darkness. People coming into the light, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. You and me and who we once were and who we are today. Because when we leave today, we will be different than when we first arrived. Because of his faithfulness. Not in maybe ways that we've noticed but in the grand scheme of things, it's what He is doing. He is transforming us, church. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. And whatever struggle you're in, whatever you're feeling, He is faithful to you. He is making all things new. The way you are, the things that you believe right now, are not going to be forever. Because of that power, then, we seek out healing. Because we've seen it. We seek deliverance. Because we've seen it. We seek out evangelism. We seek out discipleship. We seek out good theology and teaching and serving and community. Because He lives. Because He lives, we do these things. And we live as sons and daughters. Eternally loved by God the Father. Adopted. He's making all things new and he's bringing us along for the ride. What a joyful journey.